Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. The Lord put a burden on my heart for this message this weekend, and the title of the message is, Why Are We So Anxious? Why are we so anxious? What we're talking about is anxiety this weekend. I've been kind of watching uh, from the back row in society that this is a growing problem in our world and, and in the church. And this is not something that I struggled with for any period of time until this year. Started to experience some anxiousness related to one area of my life and started to feel some things that I've never felt before. You know how I am. Uh, my favorite thing to do is just flip the lights on and preach on it. And I, I've already learned in, in our first two services, and I assume the same is true at our, our service this morning in Tempe, uh, at least half of every service has raised their hand, come forward for prayer, saying, I'm, I'm battling in this area. And so I want to give you four answers to this question, why are we so anxious? But before I start giving you the answers. Let me just say, if you battle in this area, I am in a no way, shape, or form trying to say that I have the silver bullet, the magic pill to make your anxiety go away. I would never try and intimate that uh, anxiety or the anxiety that you're experiencing has to do with just one thing and can, can be fixed or removed by just doing one thing. I would never say that, all right? I know I don't know everything, I'm simply trying to give us all a few things that I believe if we would walk these few things out, it would help us when we experience these moments where we feel overwhelmed with anxiousness, all right? Here's the first answer to the question, why are we so anxious? Point number one, we don't rejoice enough. Now, let me show you Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. This is our kind of foundational text. You're going to see all of these, but I'm going to give you these two verses, and let's walk them out together. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Okay. Point number one, we don't rejoice enough. You don't see anything about rejoicing there. You actually have to skip back a couple of verses. Verse four says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, anytime the Bible repeats itself in the same verse, I just assume it's because I need it, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, this is uh, an area where I'm not the strongest. I'm not very good at celebrating, all right? But as, as I broke down this verse this week, I noticed some things I haven't noticed. So let's talk about this. One of the things I've come to understand about rejoicing always, you know what happens when you choose not to rejoice in everything? Here's what happens you will eventually come to resent everything. You've seen this before. You've seen people with this. Whenever they stop celebrating in all things, they will start resenting every single thing. Now, 
Philippians chapter 4 does not say rejoice in your circumstances always. It says rejoice in the Lord. Many, many times I'll have people say, well, Preston, I just don't have anything to celebrate, anything to rejoice right now. Here be my question. Do you have Jesus? <laughs> if you do, you got plenty to rejoice over. Well, I'm talking about my circumstances. The Bible doesn't say rejoice about your circumstances. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord in every circumstance, in all things. But here's the problem. When you don't celebrate, because that's what rejoicing is, when you don't celebrate the wins, you eventually stop noticing the wins. And when you stop noticing the wins, you start obsessing over the losses. And when you begin obsessing over the losses, you become overwhelmed by all of the losses. And when you become overwhelmed by all of the losses, you become tempted to tap out of the game altogether. Therefore, we better get good at celebrating, rejoicing in victory and in defeat. Why? Because our God's with us in both. He's sovereign. That doesn't change when we stumble. It doesn't change when we lose. The problem isn't, is God there? The problem is that we don't celebrate God enough. We get so focused on our circumstances that we become distracted by them. When we become distracted by our circumstances, it gets a little bit harder to celebrate our Savior. If you struggle in celebrating and rejoicing, I want to give you this little one-liner, all right? You have to make the choice to rejoice. It's a choice. You have to wake up in the morning and just start like this. I'm going to celebrate this cup of coffee. Thank you, Jesus. God, you did a good job creating that coffee bean that day in the garden. Look at you go, God. God was thinking of me when he created that coffee bean. And I celebrate him for it. You see what I'm saying? It's silly and simple. But I start every day with some time with the Lord and some time with my coffee. I just put the two together and we have a party. Listen, it's a silly example, but I promise you, if you really tried, you have so much more to rejoice about because of your God than you think. He's taken incredible care of you. And listen to me, don't take your storm out on him because he's with you in the midst of that storm. We've got to get better at rejoicing. And I think it's one of the reasons why we're more anxious than we should be. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 really answers the question. This verse is tied for the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words. Here's what 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says. Rejoice always. Answering the question, how often should I rejoice? Always. Rejoice always. Here's another way to say it. Rejoice always is a command from your king, 
not a suggestion for your consideration. Rejoice always. We've got to get better at this. Here's the second answer to the question, why are we so anxious? We don't do nothing and all well at all. How about that for grammar? I, I texted my notes to Matt and, uh, yesterday, and he texted me back and he said, um, do you really want to articulate point number two in that manner? And I said, Matt, you're already proving my point. Yes, I do. We don't do nothing well at all. Remember, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, be anxious for nothing. Here's what that means. Stop yourself when you get going related to anxiousness. Well, Preston, I don't feel like I'm in control. I, I'm not talking about when the train is down all the way towards the bottom of the hill. I'm talking about just the first thought. Be anxious for nothing. I can't give myself room to be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Not for some things, not for uh, little things or a few big things. Be anxious for nothing. But the other thing we don't do well is we don't do all well. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Verse 7, casting all, everybody say all, all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Why should you cast all of your anxieties on the Lord? Because he cares for you. Now, First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 7 in the message translation, this is a little bit of a shout out to the, the recently passed Eugene Peterson, but it says it beautifully. Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. Live carefree before God. Now, this word in 1 Peter 5 for cast in the original language is used only one other time in the New Testament. And I want to illustrate this for you. I want you to see this because I don't think this was a coincidence. I think God did this on purpose. Now I'm going to need Brad to come up here and, and I'm going to use him as an illustration. And last night before the message, I, I uh, leaned over and I said, hey, bro, do you mind if I use you for uh, an illustration in my message? And here was his immediate response. He goes, as long as I, I don't have to be down on all fours. And, and I started busting out laughing because it reminded me the only other two times I've had him up to do this, I've had him down on all fours. And you can't plan this, but I'm going to need you to get down on all fours. <laughs> like I promise, I didn't even remember I have him do this the last two times. But I want to show you in Luke chapter 19, the only other time where this word cast is used in the New Testament is in Luke 19 at the beginning of the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. Listen, here's the first half of the verse. And they cast their garments upon the colt. They took their garments and they cast their garments upon the donkey. Now listen, Brad told me uh, before this message in this service that way too many people said he was a jackass <laughs> because they read out of the King James Version. And I'm just telling you right now, 
I'll hit you in the face if you try and make that joke with him, all right? This is an illustration. Usually, Monday through Friday, I'm his donkey, and, and it's just fun every once in a while to kind of make him my donkey. Uh, but, but think about this. It's not a joke. 1 Peter chapter 5, cast all of your anxieties on him, on the Lord, for he cares for you. Then Luke 19, and they cast their garments upon the donkey. Here's what the Lord helped me understand this week that I've never noticed before. Because I've described in telling some friends to pray for me, in this area of my life, I've described the feeling that I get. It's like something sits on my chest when I start to feel this bit of anxiety. It's just this heavy weight sits on my chest and it gets a little bit harder to breathe. It gets a little harder to think clearly. And, and I just, without realizing it, I, I've used those words to describe it. I just feel like something's sitting on my chest. And here's what the Lord helped me understand this week. He said, Preston, if you will cast that which is trying to sit on your chest upon me. I want to show you what I do. I sit my son on it. Look at what it says in Luke 19, 35. And they cast their garments upon the donkey and they set Jesus thereon. Here's what the Lord said to me. Preston, when you put what is sitting on you upon me, I sit my son on it. He is enthroned upon everything that is trying to sit on you. Thank you, donkey. I appreciate you. I hadn't seen that before. Cast your anxieties on him. The same way they cast their garments upon the colt. And Jesus sat upon them. Here's the third answer to the question. Point number three, the reason why we're so anxious. We don't talk about it well. We don't talk about that which is making us anxious very well at all. We don't talk to others about it well, and we don't talk to God about it well. So, you know I have this slightly ornery side. Since we don't talk about it very well, we're going to talk about it right now. So I want you to find two people around you in this room, preferably not somebody you came here to church with, okay? I want you to find two people. I'm going to give you five to six minutes. Here's what I want you to do. This is what family does now. We're honest about where we are, and we help one another no matter where we are, okay? So I'm going to find two people that you didn't come to church with. You're not trying to find a spouse right now if you're single, Okay? This is ministry time, all right? Find two people, and here, I want you to answer this one question. It's a two-part question. What's the number one thing that is causing you any anxiousness or anxiety in this season of your life? What's the number one thing, and why, okay? So I want you to spend, I don't, you don't need the three-paragraph version of what's making you anxious. Give the one-sentence version and the why behind it. And I want you to spend more, more time praying for one another about what's going on than you do talking about it. We talk too much, we pray too little, okay? And if you're watching this online, 
on the podcast, just hit the pause button, and if you're in a Starbucks somewhere, just go find somebody and say, hey, can I tell you what I'm anxious about? <laughs> and can you pray for me? <laughs> but do it right now. I want you, Matt's going to play behind us. I'm going to give you about five to six minutes. Find two people in this room, somewhere around you, and answer the question, the number one thing that's making me anxious right now is, and why? And then I want you to pray with one another. All right, take about one more minute to share what it is and why so that you have a good solid four minutes to pray with one another about it. Once you start praying, don't pray bashful prayers. You pray powerful prayers. Pray prayers that put courage into the people you're praying for. Maybe you've never prayed with somebody like this before. Way to go, you. Don't worry. It's not about saying the perfect words. You just pray from your heart. Pray over them the way you wish someone would pray over you.
Got about 90 more seconds if you need it. So great. Thirty more seconds. church I know crazy enough in the middle of point number three to just start praying with one another. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Y'all are crazy. This is what family does. And listen, for those of us who struggle in this area and maybe we, we bottle everything up, you need to remember that, that it's impossible to be anxious for nothing when you bottle up everything. We need to share it with one another. We can't go into the dark cave of overwhelming emotion and stay there all by ourselves. We've got to reach out to one another and reach out to God. This is what family does. We're honest about where we are and what we're feeling. And we pray together and walk together no matter where we are. But the other half of that is getting God involved. We don't talk about what is causing anxiousness inside of us with the Lord very well. And this is, this is the thing where, where I'm the worst as it relates to this issue of anxiety. In this one area of my life, I, the, the Lord's helped me understand. I, I basically have been boycotting him. I was in Dallas last week at our Dallas elders meeting, and, and we always start our elders meetings off with worship, and in the middle of worship, I was on my face under the table, and we were all just spread out, and, and it's a private time of worship that's really rich, even though it's corporate, and, and I was under the table praying about this one area and the anxiousness I've been feeling, and, and the Lord, I felt, just went, oh, press, I, I can tell you exactly why you're anxious, because you're boycotting me related to this area. And then this is what he says, be anxious for nothing. And he just stopped right there. And of course, my mind is going further in finishing Philippians 4, 6, and 7. In all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And this is what I felt like the Lord said. This is what will happen every time, son, when you don't cast your anxiety on me. When you don't pray about it, 
when you don't bring your requests to me regarding it. Here's what you're doing, Preston, and here's why you're feeling this pressure. Because you are, in essence, trying to take the whole world out of my hands and put it all on your shoulders. And this is what it feels like. You're boycotting me. You'll talk to me about the church. You'll talk to me about your family. You'll talk to me about other families and needs they have. But when it comes time for me to talk to you about this one area, it's as though you politely ask me to leave the room so you can be alone. And son, this is what it feels like when you remove me from the pressures of your life. We need to get better at talking to God about what's creating anxiousness inside of us. Well, Preston, I didn't grow up in a house where, you know, that, that was okay. You didn't talk to the Lord like that. That, that was rebellious or, or unrestrained emotion. Okay, if, if that's you, if that's what you believe, that God can't handle your raw honesty, I've got homework for you. Go read the book of Psalms. Over half of them are what I would call emotionally gory. Where many times David is just letting it fly with God. But by the end of the chapter, he's done an end around and he's back to rejoicing in his God. Listen, when you hold on to the heaviness you're experiencing in life and don't cast it upon God You'll never get to the part of the chapter where you can rejoice in your God. He can handle it. Be more honest. And here's the picture he gave me, and it grieved me. My office at home is the place where I love to spend my time alone with the Lord more than anywhere else. And there's one door in, but then there are two doors out the back of my office into our backyard. And they're mostly glass. And the picture I felt like the Lord gave me was when it becomes time to have a conversation about this one area where I'm feeling anxiousness, it's as though I politely ask the Holy Spirit to leave my office and go stand outside. And I, I looked outside those glass doors in my mind, and I, I, it was like I saw the Lord standing there with this look like, I can do something about this, but you're not letting me. Just let me back in. I, let me do something about what you're feeling. But Preston, you keep kicking me out of the conversation. And I'm a gentleman. I will not be pushy. Put it on me. But as long as you keep kicking me out of the room when it's time to talk about this, not only are you not putting it on me, you're putting it all on yourself. If you're sick and tired of carrying heavy weights, stop kicking him out of the conversation related to them. And that brings us to the fourth and final answer to the question, why are we so anxious? Because we don't let peace play its proper role. We don't let peace play its proper role. I'll read verse 7 of Philippians 4 back for you. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. How many of you would like a little bit more of that peace? Would you just put your hand up? Okay, look around. Anybody with their hand not up? Here's what I want you to do. After the service is over, ask them to pray for you because apparently they have more than enough peace to go around. 
okay? But I need some more of that peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, watch this next part, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Now, this word guard literally means to umpire. And this is the perfect time of year to talk about the word umpire. It's the World Series. How many of you tried to stay up and watch the 18-inning game the other night? I'm impressive. How many of you made it to the end of the game? Okay, I fell asleep at about the 14th inning with my phone next to my face. Uh, 18 innings. And, and one of the things I love about playoff baseball, uh, you get the best umpires. I was watching the game last night, and just phenomenal strike zone for the most part because you get the best umpires. Well, think about this. The peace of God guards your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God umpires. Okay, think about this for a minute. What are some of the phrases that umpires are most well-known for? Okay, think about it. How, how about safe, right? How about you're out? And then there's my favorite, where if I were an umpire, I'd be doing this to everybody. You're out of here. I'd be throwing everybody out of the stadium, ringing them up. It'd just be fun. Well, think about it. The umpire has the most authority on the field. They take the rules of the game, and they make everyone abide by the rules. They enforce the rules. And anyone who doesn't play by the rules is kicked out of the game. Think about what that means related to Philippians 4, verse 7. And the peace of God will umpire your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Here's what that means. That if you'll let him, Jesus will be an umpire with the peace of God who says, safe. Preston, you're safe here. And then as I hide beneath the shadow of his wing, I hear him say over my head to those not playing by his rules, you're out. And then I love to hear him say to every enemy that tries to attack me, you're out of here. And the peace of God umpires your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, if you turn to Mark chapter 4 and put a marker there, I want to read this because I want to show you what this peaceful authority looks like from our Prince of Peace, Jesus. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind. But soon a fierce storm came up. Hit the pause button there for a moment. Can I just point out that I wholeheartedly disagree with anyone and everyone who says the reason we experience storms in life is disobedience to God. Well, President Jonah found himself in the midst of a storm because he disobeyed God. You're right. These disciples obeyed what Jesus said and found themselves in the midst of a really bad storm. So if you're going through a storm and somebody has tried to lie to you and say, well, it's because you're disobeying. Not always. And here's why. Because storms 
are just a part of God's curriculum for this course called Your Life. Not just because we disobey. They're just a part of the curriculum. Why? Because every storm pushes us closer to Him. Watch what happens. As soon uh, a fierce storm came up, high waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus, being the gangster that he was, was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care about us? Don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Peace, be still. Suddenly, 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 the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then Jesus asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. You know what I find interesting? about our Prince of Peace in the midst of this storm? A, he's taking a nap. He's not anxious because he knows how the story ends. They're going to get to the other side. But you know what else I love about what Jesus did and, and really said in Mark chapter 4 in this story? Jesus could have awakened from that nap and said anything. To the wind and the waves. He could have said, you stop it right now, wind. You behave yourself, waves. He could have said that, but he didn't. The words he used, I, I actually think he was doing more than one thing in this moment. Yes, he was speaking to the waves beneath the boat when he said, peace be still. But I also think he was speaking to the waves inside the ones in the boat. Because here's one of the things I've learned about storms in life. The worst storms are not the ones around us. The worst storms are the ones inside of us. And I am grateful that I walk with a Savior who is the Prince of Peace that steps up from a nap in the midst of a storm and says to the waves in my soul, peace be still. He is our prince of peace. Aren't you grateful that he is not the king of chaos, but he's the prince of peace? And do you know what that means if he's the prince of peace? He's not the king of chaos, but he is the king in chaos. He is our prince of peace. And let me show you one last passage, and we'll be done. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, 10, and 11 shows us just how authoritative our prince of peace is. Therefore, God elevated him, Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Here's what blesses me about that passage. When I get in that moment where something's, it feels like it's sitting on my chest, and I know it's not just physical and emotional, I also know it's spiritual. Here's what blesses me about Philippians chapter 2, verses 9, 10, and 11. That God reminds me and you in that moment and every other that he gave his son, our beloved Savior, a name that is so high above every other name that at the mere mention of his name, in that moment when everything stands over me trying to take me down, at the mention of his name, they bowed down. They bowed down. Not my name, his. And the older I get, the more simple I become. In my 20s, I tried to pray the most complicated prayers in those moments. At 40, here's how my prayer life goes when I get a little overwhelmed. Jesus! Jesus! Save me! Rescue me! Come to my aid! Pick on my enemies! Rescue me in this drowning! Jesus! Be my portion. Bring your peace. I'm drowning. Jesus, come save me. And you know the best part about our Prince of Peace? He doesn't just come to save. He comes to punish our enemies. And if you're here, and you're battling in this area of anxiety, don't fight alone. You're not the only one. I've never experienced these things until this year. It's okay. We'll get through it together. That's what family does. But don't beat yourself up. That's the last thing you need. Here's what you need. No matter how bad it gets, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And when you bring him in and cast upon him all of your anxiety, your prince of peace doesn't just take care of your problem. He punishes every one of your enemies. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.